0: Exodus 13, as we continue our study of the life of Moses, this morning we're going to talk about between the sea and the siege, and we'll be in Exodus 13 and in chapter 14, but uh, there are many ways that we can describe being in a difficult situation. Some call it a landmine type situation. I was actually in a landmine uh, field, land field, uh, at one point, when I was in Afghanistan, I didn't realize we were kind of going into an uncharted area of, of, of uh, near an air base, and all of a sudden we realized this is a land f- mine field, and so we backtracked out of there, and and uh, we did not believe that it was well marked, it was marked, but sometimes when you're in large equipment and things, and, and, uh, but I'll talk about being nervous, <laughs> Uh, what do I do? Which direction do I go? Um, it was nerve-wracking, to say the least. And, and so for us, the, the easy course of action was go out the way you came in, because that should be relatively safe. And, and, of course, I'm here. Lord protect me. What a blessing. And, uh, you know, people may say, uh, I, I don't, you don't hear this any much anymore, but I've heard it in the past, what some people call being over a barrel, Uh, up a creek without a paddle, those kind of things, being between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Sometimes uh, we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, and we may not necessarily know what to do. Uh, And such is the case when Pharaoh finally allows the Israelites to leave. Uh, When when they leave Egypt, and and they're on their way out, and after the 10th plague, if you remember last week in chapter 12, in verse 29, the Lord smote all the firstborn of the Egyptians... Uh, they were all killed, and, and then in verse 31, finally, Pharaoh demands the people of Israel to leave. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 31, he tells them to get out of there, and consequently, we see the Israelites journeying to Sukkoth, uh, from Rameses uh, to Sukkoth. We see that in verse uh, 37 of chapter 12, uh, and then we'll pick up some of this in chapter 13, but while they're there, and is it Sukkoth, Sukkoth? Um, Sukkoth? Sukkoth? Yeah, well, we'll just have to do with my Western United States pronunciation. Sukkoth. They are, in, so, But anyway, sorry, let me not... I've got too many distractors. Lord, forgive me. But while they're there, they're to sanctify or to set apart to the Lord all their firstborn children and all the animals. So let's begin reading in chapter 13. Uh, verse 1, we'll read down through verse 7. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month of Abib, and It shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep the service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee. With thee in all thy quarters, and so we see uh, in chapter thirteen that they're to sanctify themselves uh, or the children and the firstborn and, and to sanctify something means to set it apart and really to set it apart for God and uh, God had saved the firstborn from from death in Israel or in Egypt, excuse me and, uh, and so he had claim on them, did he not uh, he had claim on them, and so what I would say this morning is, likewise for us today as Christians, uh, we are to be sanctified because we've been saved from the wages of our sin Amen. through the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 say this, by which, will we are, "...by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices." which can never take away sins, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemy, enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so in Christ, we are sanctified, we are set apart. Uh, and, and listen, for the Christian, it ought to be noticeable. Um, in in verse three, in the latter part of that verse, it talks about them not having any leaven. In in uh, verse six as well, we can read verse six: Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall a feast be to the Lord. And uh, they weren't to eat any leaven; they are to observe this the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. And so, leaven we understand in the Old Testament is symbolic of sin, and for us today we. We can make that application. And so God's people are set apart and must strive to remove anything sinful in their lives. Uh, We ought to deal with those things. Uh, I'll remind you of 1 Corinthians 6.20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so the Bible tells us we are not our own. And we need to be willing to set some things aside. We need to get sin out of our life. I like what Albert Barnes said in regards to uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20. It says, ye Christians are purchased, and by right of purchase should therefore be employed as he directs. And so listen, the, the Lord has purchased us with the precious blood of Christ, and we now, it's reasonable service that we would give ourselves to him in the service of the Lord. Uh, verse 7 goes on, and it, it struck them this. I, this is interesting. It says that there should be no leavened bread seen in all thy quarters. God says, I don't want it anywhere in the house, uh, anywhere in your dwellings. Uh, you need to get that stuff out of there. And, and how often are we content to have a little something in the closet? Uh, we need to be careful. We ought to deal with these things. And they were to cast out all the leaven out of their house uh, to deal with all the sin. And, of course, we know the payment of sin is dealt with in Christ, but what I'm talking about is those besetting sins that oftentimes we become content with. You know, those things that somehow we think, well, it's okay. God's not displeased with this. But the reality is anything that we have in our life uh, that is sinful or, or that is leaven, it, it's causing division between us and our God. And we should never be content to have any, quarter, any corner of our life that is not fully surrendered to God. I trust you want to be used of God today. And if that's the case, you can't allow these things in your life. Listen, sometimes we harbor these things because nobody else knows. Boy, nobody can see what's in my closet. And because it's not a public thing, we think we're getting, okay, we're getting along all right. But the reality is, behold, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God knows that it's there. And if you truly want to be set apart and, and, and used of God, you have to deal with those things and, and not be content to have those things in your life. And uh, you need to cast all the leaven out. And, and history says they, could, they would burn it. They would, maybe they buried it or, or break it up and, and throw it into the wind, different ways that they would deal with this, this leavened bread. And, but the, what I'm trying to say is they searched diligently I could imagine the picture of somebody searching with a candle to find any leaven in the home. They wanted to get it out. God had told them that they, they are to be set apart and, and they need to deal with these things. Uh, they don't want any leaven to remain. And we know, based on this passage, that uh, they do these things for, for a couple of reasons or many reasons, but two of them I want to make note of this morning, and to make really the feast more solemn and help them understand the seriousness of what God did to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt? Do we truly understand what God did to bring us out of the bondage of our sin? Well, you couldn't do anything of yourself. It was but by the grace of God that you could be redeemed, uh, that you could be bought back. And so uh, it would make it more solemn. And, And sometimes I think we get a little too casual with God. Sin is serious to God, and, and so they need to get into every corner of the house and, and look for this leaven and deal with it, and, and certainly they, God tells them that their children would take notice, and He tells them to instruct their children, hey, we did this because of, of the great deliverance that God did in bringing us out of bondage out of Egypt, and it was to remind their children where they came from. But I think it also was to teach how careful we should be to put away sin from the all sin from us. Uh, that we shouldn't be content with anything. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Verse 8 goes on to say, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and weakness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And and, and so we ought not be under the influence or indulgence of of those corrupt things uh, as a renewed man, a- as a Christian. Uh, we need to be uh, subject to new things. And uh, certainly we know Levin is expressive of the old condition, and it has the idea of the, corrupt, the corruption and, or the cor- corrupt passions and the nature that we came from uh, before it was renewed when we got saved. And, uh, but verse 8, and, and if you understand the context of 1 Corinthians 5, in, in the first part of that verse, it talks about the incestuous person. Uh, it, this, what he was doing was, was so egregious that it wasn't even named among the Gentiles, that a man would have his, his father's wife. And, and, and so uh, <clears throat> they were to deal with that. And so all wickedness should be put away from those who have been saved by the sacrifice of their Passover Christ. We need to deal with those things. And, and so with the unleavened bread, that is with the sincerity and truth. And so we need to be sincere and true and faithful. As the Israelites partook of the unleavened bread, which is emblematic of, of, of purity uh, and sincerity and, and, and truth, uh, so must we uh, make a serious matter of getting sin out of our lives. And so in this, it's implied that this cannot be done unless that incestuous person is dealt with in the church. And and so no Christian can have or give evidence of sincerity who are not willing to put away all sin. If we're to do it in sincere and in truth, we, we need to do it wholly and completely. And so what's the challenge in this point this morning is... Are you harboring sin in your life? Are you content with something that displeases God? Maybe because you're comfortable with it and it's been going on for a while. Listen, it's hindering your relationship with God. Uh, and, And God wants to take you places and do things with you and to use you for his glory. But if you have sin in your life, it's going to be hindered. Why? Because that needs to be dealt with before God can really move forward in anything else. And so I, I challenge you this morning, search the corners of your quarters for any leaven, any sin in your life. And, and if God's pointing that out, deal with it. Don't be content to allow it to remain. Uh, get rid of it. But it, as, we, as we progress here in, in chapter 13 and verses 17 through 22, the Lord led them uh, to a new camp at Etham. Uh, it's on the edge of the wilderness, and and the Lord continues to go before them. He goes by day in a pillar of cloud and and he leads the way by night with the pillar of fire. And uh, we see that in in verse twenty one and in really seventeen through twenty two. Um, it says it came to pass when Pharaoh called and or wrong, Yeah, seventeen. sorry. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. We'll make a point about that, I think that's interesting. God was leading them in a way that probably wasn't convenient or what we would have chose. Anyway, uh, but it says it says, For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones uh, of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and. You shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and to in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them uh, by the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the uh, cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. But I want, I want you to understand this morning, God desires to lead us. Uh, so the people sanctify they're young children, They, they they're the firstborn, and they, and they deal with the leaven, and, and they become pure. They deal with those things. And, and so, listen, once you deal with those things in your life, then God can begin to use you and work with you and lead you and guide you. You can be sensitive to his direction. But God doesn't always lead us where we want to go. As I mentioned in verse 17, he, God didn't take the expected path with the people. And uh, listen, but what I want to say is we have a gracious God. He provides the, the pillar of the cloud. I've been in the desert many a days. And there's many a day with no clouds in the desert. And it's hot and it's miserable. And, I, and it just reminds me of the goodness and the gracious God that we serve. That would take and, and put a, a cloud before the people. And, and to. To cover them and and to protect them from the sun and the harshness that the desert can be. And also to give them a pillar of fire by night. To light their way and and to guide and to direct them. And what a gracious God. Psalm 105, 39 says, He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. Listen, no matter where God leads you, if if you've sanctified yourself and if you've uh, got right with God and, and you believe you're following God's path, just trust Him. He'll provide the way, even when it doesn't look there. That cloud and that, that fire will be there, even when we don't sense that it is. But after traveling several days, and they, they were really kind of going, to, I had a map, but I'm not squared enough away to get it ready to have it on the screen for you this morning. Uh, I'll get there someday. Um, but they kind of went into a southerly direction, and, and uh, God turns them back, and they between, the Bible tells us they're between Migdal and the sea. And and so Pharaoh perceives what's taking place here is them being confused and not knowing where they want to go. And uh, God orchestrated that. We see that in chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 4. We can read those. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihiroth and with Migdal and the sea over Baalzephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and uh, heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so they're just following God's path, even though it may not have made sense. Uh, we probably wouldn't have taken that way. And uh, there's a couple routes to go back to Washington, but I always take I-90 because it's the quickest and fastest. Uh, that's not how God always works. God takes the side road sometimes, and, and certainly he led the people. They were following his direction. Uh, they were led in a way, and, and they perhaps didn't fully understand that, that Pharaoh would realize, well, man, these people are all confused there. The wilderness shut them up, and, and of course we know God hardens his heart and then they begin to pursue them. Uh, he decides to pursue them in, in verse 4 of chapter 14. And so as we examine the, this, and it will be mostly chapter 14, we're not going to make it through it all this morning, I don't think. Um, we'll, we'll continue this next week. But what do you do when, when you get in a circumstance and you're, you're not sure exactly which way to go? Look at what it says. I think it's in verse 3 in chapter 14. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. They're between the sea, and here in a moment we're going to understand they're between the sea and the siege, right? The the Egyptians are going to want to take siege of them and bring them back into bondage. And and so they're in a difficult situation where the, the terrain, they don't have the strategic advantage. But we don't need to panic because we have the God that can lead us and guide us and direct us. Um, and so God leads the people of Israel to a shut-in place. Uh, we might say it's a cul-de-sac. And I'm not talking about the cul-de-sacs that are developing here. Uh, you know, the, the dead-end straight, you go in and, and you got to turn around it, but they're really at a dead-end point. And um, <clears throat> uh, Pharaoh begins to change his mind. His heart is hardened, the Word of God tells us, and he wants to pursue them with his chariots. Uh, Six hundred chariots and, and really all the chariots, and then uh, the whole army we see that in verses uh, five through nine but and I would say this: the Egyptian army was a formidable army, but how much more for just a bunch of freed slaves you know now i 'm not saying they had no capability because the Egyptians did worry that they would make league with other nations and, and overthrow them so uh, but the reality is the people of Israel did not have any real true weapons of war like the Egyptian army that was about to pursue them. So they see these Egyptians, and in, in uh, verse 10, you can look at verse 10 of verse four, or chapter 14, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. You don't have to be a genius to understand we're not in a good situation we got a body of water here, and we have an army pursuing us. What do we do? Uh, They obviously assess that they're not in the strategic advantage. They cry out to the Lord. Uh, And and really, I don't know if they really truly were going to cry out to him in belief that he was going to do anything. Uh, Because their attitude kind of shifts. And uh, verse 14, they begin accusing. Let's read 11 and 14. And they said unto Moses, because... There was no graves in Egypt. Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? But I want to remind you, did not they all say, hey, we're going to follow this? Moses and Aaron came to them, and they said, this is the Lord. They believed it, and they said, we're all in. But now all of a sudden they're pointing fingers. Verse 12, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? This is a lie, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They had all agreed to go and follow. Uh, but sometimes how we respond when things don't go our way. We begin to throw accusations at God or maybe God's man or, or the people of God and accuse them of, of leading them in a way that is detrimental. Uh, and so I don't know if they truly... It says they called on the Lord, but I don't know if they truly had the faith to believe him at the moment. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They obviously didn't understand, give me liberty or give me death. This isn't a patriotic service, sorry. But how quickly they begin to doubt the God that had just brought them out. God had done a great deliverance in their life. They were crying to him under bondage in the taskmasters, and God heard them, and he brings them out by his great power and delivers them from bondage. And here they are, really the first sign of trouble and things not going their way, they start crying and complaining. Lord, help us. These things are written for our learning, by the way. We should look at what they experienced and, and say, wow, how did they respond well, maybe they didn't respond very well, or maybe they did respond very well, but we ought to be learning from this. And to whom much is given, much is required. I can't help but think that when we have the full counsel, the whole word of God to reference. And oftentimes we just get bent out of shape because we had car trouble. I had, I had car trouble yesterday. Got a truck in the garage right now. But But what am I saying? We get frustrated because things aren't going our way. I had other plans I wanted to do yesterday, and it didn't get done trust the Lord. And that's just car trouble. It's not an army knocking on my front door wanting to take my life or put me into bondage. And so we need to learn from those things. You know, the Israelites at this point, maybe they decide this exodus looks like a big mistake. What have we done? Uh, Have you ever doubted what God was doing? because you didn't really fully have the full, full, full picture at that time. And, and we can say that because we've gone through circumstances, and, and God's brought us through those things, and we'll talk about how he does that here in a moment, but, or maybe next week. But sometimes we just begin to panic, and we start leaning on our own understanding. And we need to be careful. We need to learn from these. And, of course, we know God's about to deliver them again, but um, don't make the mistake. Don't panic. Even when we don't see it, he is working. God was leading them to this shut-up place to work. He was about to do one of the greatest miracles recorded in all the scriptures. But here they are doubting it. What's God doing here? Why are we in this this difficult spot? The wilderness is against us. The sea is against us. We're at the Red Sea and. And, uh, but God is just setting the stage. Look at what Isaiah 43, 16 and 17 says. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea. Did you get that? He maketh a way in the sea. That doesn't make sense to us. We don't have those abilities. We, can't, we don't have that kind of power. But God can make a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariots and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as two. Anybody know what toe is? Not like your big toe. All right, good. At least I'm the only person who had to look that up. I didn't fully understand that. But it has the idea of a wick and the fire being quenched. And listen, God is able to bring the victory in this circumstance. A flame is entirely put out when plunged beneath the water. So the whole host of the Egyptians were suddenly and completely destroyed in the Red Sea. God was orchestrating something on the behalf of His people here. Uh, Right now, today, you may be facing your own Red Sea. You have a Pharaoh breathing down your neck, perhaps. You feel like you're in a difficult situation. Whatever it is, don't panic. Just remember the promise found in Proverbs 4.18, but the path of the justice is a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. You can barely see in the first light of the morning. I always think of this when I'm hunting. The best hunting, I think, is in the morning, when the sun's first coming up. And, uh, but as you wait, the light gets brighter and brighter. And uh, don't panic. Just wait on God and His plan will get brighter and brighter. He'll reveal what He's doing in time. And one day you'll stand in the full light of day of what God's doing in that circumstance, in that situation. You know, someday that will happen, and, and maybe in some cases it won't be till you get to heaven that we would say, now I see why. Someone once said this, never judge the path God leads us on until you get to the end. But in some cases we might not get to the end until we get to heaven. but we just need to trust him. Uh, So when you get in that rock in a hard place situation or you get in those hard circumstances, you're between the sea and the siege maybe, uh, don't panic. And we're not going to have time to get into it, but next week we'll talk about be patient. Look at what verse 13 in Exodus 14 says. Fear ye not. Look Look at what the direction is. Stand still. There's no action that you need to take. You don't need to come up with a plan. You don't need to go get a loan. Listen, these are some things that we do at times. We try to figure out how to get ourselves out of a situation that God has led us to. And don't forget, God was setting the stage for a miracle. But if you interrupt that with your plan, and you interrupt that with what you think ought to happen, you may not experience the miracle or the deliverance that God was going to bring in your life. So the direction here is be patient. He says, fear ye not. Listen, we have a God that we can trust. We have a God that's able to bring the Egyptians out of bondage. We have a God that's able to bring us out of the bondage of sin. Amen. We can trust him. We don't need to fear. He's able. Amen. Listen, your resources may be limited, but God's are unlimited. So we don't have to fear. Stand still. Look what it says. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, I love this, ye shall see them again no more forever. I wish I had another 45 minutes. I'm long-winded, I guess. I I have nine pages of notes. I don't know why I thought I could get through them, but... Listen this morning. Sometimes you just need to stand still. All the Israelites had to do was stand still and see God work. But how do you do that in a crisis? Because I'm afraid it's easier said than done. Uh, But we must remember God's faithfulness and his presence in the past. Stand here remembering what I just delivered you from and, and, and believe and have the faith that I can deliver you from this as well. We trust God for our salvation. Why can't we trust Him for the rest of our life? Don't forget His faithfulness. Maybe you need to go back and, and write down some of those things that God did for you in your life. Uh, I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. And I didn't have it until I think we were in Japan, right before we came here, actually. But Cindy's had it for much longer. And one thing I do like about Facebook is the memories. And Cindy will often show me pictures, and she showed me a picture of Caleb. When we called him baby Caleb. And his backpack was as tall as he is. And I just think what God's done in our life over the years when we got married, I had no idea I was going to have three boys. <laughs> I certainly didn't know how much work it was going to be to raise children. But, but what am I saying is, sometimes you just got to stop and look at the blessings and, and remember what God's done in the past. And he can help you through the crisis of today. Go back and look at those memories. Relive those things that God's done in the past. We need to remember God is with us even when we can't see him. This, in their eyes, was an unwinnable circumstance and situation. But he is there. He hasn't left us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We just have to have the faith and trust that he is able to lead the way. And so we'll pick this up next week. Well, I got a minute or two. Look with me at Psalm 77. Uh, we'll look at verse 19. let <clears throat> we'll see what the psalmist says about this. Psalm 77, 19, The way is in the sea, and the path is in great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Sometimes we just have no clue of what God's doing. And we know Isaiah 55 tells us his ways are not our ways. And you know what? Thank God they're not. And I think I got time to close with this. I know many of you have probably heard of the poem uh, The Footprints in the Sand or Footprints. And it's that image of, and there's often a picture there of two sets of footprints walking down the side of the beach. You can make footprints in the wild, in the wilderness, in the mountains. I don't know why I had to be next to a beach, but I'm a mountain guy. But nonetheless, there's footprints and and as those different stages of life come, and all of a sudden there's only one set of footprints. And, and the writer of the poem says, Hey, what Lord, where'd you go? I needed you to in those times. And, of course, you know that's when the poem says, During the times of trial and suffering, when you only see one set of footprints, that's when I carried you. Amen. Exodus 19.4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians... And how I bear you on eagles' wings. Look what it says. And brought you unto myself. God is just working through the circumstances of your life to bring you closer to himself. So in every past circumstance, every past crisis, though sometimes we didn't see the Lord, he was there all the time. He had never forsaken us. And so we need to remember that. What a wonderful promise in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Again, you don't need to do anything. I got this. There were a few people in my military career that if they told me, I got it, Sergeant DeGarmo, I knew things were going to be taken care of. And it was a blessing. Because sometimes not everybody that is recruited into the military is the top-notch person. If there was other people, I'll take care of it. Trust but verify. I better follow this up. But listen, when when God says he's got us, we're good. There's no reason for doubt. So in your time of crisis, when you're between the sea and the siege, just stay calm and be patient and allow God to work on your behalf. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And, Lord, I do thank you for the great examples in Scripture that we can look to And that we can be instructed and learn from. I pray, Lord, that we would take heed to these things. And Lord, I know that it's harder when we are facing the crisis ourselves. But Lord, help us to know that you are faithful. And that you are good. And Father, that you are leading us unto yourself. Bless now as we go into the service to follow. We pray that you'd work in hearts and that you'd be glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen.